Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you folks again. And uh, I just want to make sure we're up here. Just not yet. It's coming now, I hope. Uh, In the meantime, while the video is coming up top, I just want to thank the believers here at Boulevard for uh, having us again um, on short notice. But we really enjoyed the fellowship of the believers here at Boulevard. Um, somebody said when we we're coming in, you guys are all dressed in black today. Uh, my wife and I says, yes, we're, uh, we're mourning because um, this is our last Lord's Day with the believers here at Boulevard. And we'll be leaving soon. <laughs> so uh, we're flying up on, on Tuesday. We fly up to Canada, and uh, we're going to be spending the next uh, uh, few months up there. We'll be in Ontario up until the end of October. And then we start traveling west from there. We have meetings along the drive. Uh, we'll be in uh, Winnipeg and then uh, uh, Moose Jaw and Regina and um, uh, Edmonton and then up north of British Columbia and Prince George and then down to Vancouver. We'll be in Vancouver for two months after that. And so by the end of January, we haven't scheduled anything yet. We are anticipating possibly we'll be coming back at that time or we could be on our way back to Cape Town. So we're we're keeping the doors open just to see how things uh, develop for us, and as those things happen, we will um, make those decisions at that time. So we're up here now? Good. Um, I've been speaking on a series. I've been uh, studying and preparing this series on overcoming um, as believers. And as I begin to talk with Christians, I understand that a lot of believers are going through valleys in their Christian experience. And uh, I've started to look into some of the reasons why believers go into valleys in their, in their Christian life. And there's a lot of reasons. And oftentimes, um, uh, we spend more time in the valley than we need to be. It's good to have valleys. I understand that. The Christian life is not always on the hilltops. They're not always on the mountaintops. The Christian experience is, is uh, mountaintops, valleys, mountaintops, valleys. That's how it goes. And, you know, if it wasn't for the valleys... There would be uh, most of the hymns in our hymn books are written by people in the valleys. Most of the deep lessons that you and I as believers have learned, we've learned them not on the mountaintops, we've learned them in the valleys. So they're important in our Christian experience uh, to go through these things. And it might be a shock to you as a believer, a young believer, that um, you will be faced with valleys in your life. And if you haven't yet, just keep living. It will happen. We're all bound to go in that direction. Now, some of the valleys are caused as a result of temptation, uh, failure when we've sinned. Uh, Sometimes it's illness in a Christian's life. Uh, And I'm not talking about a headache, a temporary headache. I'm talking about a a chronic illness that plagues you for for years on end and, and maybe will plague you until the Lord takes you home. Those can often cause deep valleys in a person's life. There's changes that take place in individuals' lives as well. I often think of our dear brothers and sisters who have been married for 50 and 60 years, and then the Lord has taken one of them home, and they're now left uh, fending for themselves. In many ways, how do you cope with that? There's a big change in your life. Um, I was thinking of depression. I had spoken on this a little while ago here, and this is sort of a, um, an, a taboo to speak about. At least it used to be. But there's a number of believers that go through difficulties uh, 
with depression and how to get over those and overcome those sorts of things. And then conflict is another source of believers going through valleys. I know as we look in the face of our audience this, this morning that there are some of you who have come from a home where conflict is the, the normal situation. Perhaps you have a spouse that's not a believer and you are struggling every time you want to do something for the Lord you, you're faced with a battle. Or perhaps you live in a workplace where conflict is the, is the regular diet of the day. And you as a Christian are often oppressed as a result of your faith in Christ. And so conflict can sometimes be a, a big source of a valley. And then there's disappointment. How many of you feel disappointed as a parent? I'm, I'm a, I feel disappointed as a parent. How I raise my boys... I look back at things and, and I see some of the struggles that they're going through and I thought, what could have I done differently that would have helped them along or prepared them for those sorts of things? Um, some of you have dealt with, with this idea of disappointment in other areas of life. And so we want to just mention those things. But tonight or this morning, I want to speak about the subject of temptation. And before we get into the subject uh, in a practical way, I want to say three things about temptation right off, the, right off the bat to start off. And it's this. The first thing is this. Temptation is universal. It doesn't matter where you are in your Christian experience. It doesn't matter how mature and developed and, and uh, how, how many years you've known the Lord. That's a tremendous thing. Tremendous thing. But it doesn't matter. Older believers still get tempted. Just ask them. And younger believers get tempted. And, and, and these are problems that occur universally. Every single one of us as believers face these difficulties. Number two is that it is personal. The temptations that tempt you might be different than what tempts me. And the devil knows how to tailor-make every single temptation that is suited for your particular weakness. And if you have a particular area in your life where there is a weakness, you can bet your bottom dollar, not that I'm a betting guy, but that's where the devil is going to spend his time giving you temptations in that area. It is personally tailored for you. And the other thing is this, being tempted alone is not sin. Now that is something that Brother Aaron uh, uh, sorry, Brother Michael uh, uh, took up as well when he spoke on this in April uh, earlier in the year. Temptation itself is not sin. And we must remember that. Just to be simply tempted is not necessarily sin. Uh, the old preacher did say this, we can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but we can stop them from building a nest in our hair. And, uh, well, we'll maybe get into that in a moment. But we cannot feel guilty necessarily for the, the temptation because there's no sin in that. The sin is when you give into that, which we will try and get into a little bit. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses, but basically temptation is divided into three forms. And I've tried to make this, work this out a little bit here. I've, Put two verses together, uh, uh, or two passages together. Apostle John in his first letter divided it up like this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So you have those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
But we also have another passage which we're going to look at in a moment. So these three challenges to our Christian survival is, is I'm, I'm, this is how I'm going to break down the message this morning, is the first thing is this, the challenge of passions. And then we're going to talk about the challenge of position. And then we want to talk about the challenge of possessions. So those basically are the three areas in which you and I are tempted for the most part. There may be other things outside of this, but this is the, the general area. And then uh, at the end, we're just going to offer some practical aspects of preventing our downfall. Now, the other passage we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 4. And uh, it does handle this in the same way, but maybe not in the same order. But let's read it. And this is our greatest example, of course, is the Lord Jesus, who is absolutely perfect. Uh, even though there was temptation across his path, he demonstrated that he, was in, he could not sin because he was absolutely holy. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So our, our message this morning is going to be wrapped up with these three words, passions, positions, and possessions. So first of all, I want to look at the challenge of, of passions. Now when we talk about the challenge of passions, we are basically, uh, we want to remember the words that the the Apostle John used. He called it the lust of the flesh. Now, this is an old King James word when we talk about the flesh. And really what it talks about is our bodies. It really talks about our bodies. Remember, um, when it comes to flesh, uh, the Lord Jesus became man, God incarnate, God becoming flesh. He became us. You and I are flesh and blood. And when we talk about the lusts of the flesh, what we're talking about is those things that appeal to our body. Remember what Eve thought as she looked at the fruit in Genesis chapter 3 when she saw that the tree was good for food. That's how that linked up, the lusts of the flesh. When it came to the Lord Jesus and his temptation, you remember that he was, uh, after fasting, he was hungry, a natural thing that would occur. And what the devil tried to do is he used his 
desire for food or his hunger, his appetite for food, to get him to yield to a temptation. And, of course, that didn't work either. So when it is, when we talk about the lust of the flesh, what is it about the lust of the flesh? What are we talking about? So it's our physical desires. Um, the lust of the flesh is that temptation to feel physical pleasure from something. Now, our world is basically very sensual and desired and designed simply to meet the needs of our flesh. You don't have to live here very long and turn on the television and you realize the, the advertisements are all designed to make us feel inadequate unless we have done something or acquired something or attained some position in order to be completely fulfilled as a human being. So when it comes to the lust of the flesh, it is that temptation to feel physical pleasure from something. Now let's, let me just be straight here. There's nothing wrong with physical pleasure. Uh, God designed us in a way that we have senses that, that uh, are satisfied that way. But there are parameters that we need to work with and to remember when it comes to these sorts of things. It can involve any type of activity that will bring pleasure to the body. And I'm being very coarse here. I'm just speaking about our body, physical, our physical body. Um, I was thinking of, of, well, this is a sort of a, a thing that is so common nowadays in the world that we live in. And, and for someone who, who professes to want to hold on uh, and refrain from this until they're married is ridiculed and laughed at and mocked in the world that we live in today. Whereas that is a big change. I mean, 30, 40 years ago, it was the other way around, that if a child was born out of wedlock, there was a, a shame that was attached to it. Now there's a shame, at least socially speaking, to somebody who wants to hold back. But you see, uh, just because the world changes, that doesn't mean God changes. His standards are still the same. And I think we need to be very clear on this that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And, and when we speak of young Christian people, this is something that is particularly tempting for them. And we want to just remind you of the standard that God has for us. We also have this idea of recreational drug use, which is something that sort of appeals to the natural body and it, 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 it numbs the pain that a lot of people go through. Uh, it helps them cope, it seems. And uh, the more that they take, the more that they need. And this also is something that is a temptation, a lust of the flesh. Uh, excess alcohol is another example all around us where we see this being uh, used and propagated and it becomes a stumbling block and a, and a problem. And then maybe this is maybe something more, touches more home to most of us here, is food. Um, and sleep. Uh, I, I was speaking at a, at a youth camp one time, and I went through the whole list, and everybody's eyeballs glazed over until they got to this point, and then all of a sudden it hit home. Uh, you know, uh, we we live in a in a society where food is just so abundant, and we have this idea that we must be eating all the time, and and uh, it's just sort of. I mean, who ever invented this idea that we have to have three meals a day anyway? Where did that come from? Um, I'm not sure where that came from. Um, 
diet is something that we need to consider. It's a lust of the flesh. And it is not recognizing that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit as well if we don't take care of it that way. And also in regard to, to sleep. So some practical things on the lust of the flesh. Now, let's move on to the challenge of position. Uh, passions was, had to do with lust of the flesh. Now let's look at the challenge of position. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Just jump off. Uh, you know, just think, all you have to do is one little circus trick and everyone will know who you are and they will bow down and worship you. You see, the idea of, of um, the Lord Jesus being brought up to the top of that temple and, it, and you know, if he jumped off and he would be the the the, uh, the angels would protect him from hurting himself and and that sort of thing. What an amazing act of miracle in front of all these people who who uh, didn't want to believe in him. Yet that is what uh, is the pride of life. It appeals to uh, anything uh, anything that appeals to our pride. That's what we're talking about: the pride of life. Now, this is something that that is very practical as well. Uh, a means of achieving personal glory. It is not beyond believers to seek that sort of thing as well. Uh, I was thinking of this woman here, uh, Madonna, who's just celebrated her 60th birthday. Uh, She said this one time, I won't be happy till I'm as famous as God. That was one of her expressions. Um, She will never be happy until she's as famous as God. You know what? Eve was tempted with the same thing, wasn't he? Wasn't she? He says, the devil said, you know, God knows that you eat of that, you'll be as gods. And uh, you see, this temptation has never satisfied her. Most of us think that fame is really not my big problem, and, and that probably is true. Most of us here don't have to worry about fame. But there is something that you and I do have to worry about. And uh, have you ever considered fame's little brother? And that is popularity. Uh, we love to be popular. We love to be liked. Um, temptation is doing things just to fit in with the crowd. We don't like to stick out, do we? Especially when it comes to standing up for what is right. Oftentimes we, we cave under the peer pressure. Um, is what you feel when others exert their influence on you to make a decision. I remember when I first got saved... I was, uh, I didn't come from a Christian home. I was saved when I was 16, uh, 43 years ago, yesterday, August 18th, 1975. And I remember coming home from Vancouver. I was living in Saskatchewan at the time in a place in Regina. And uh, I just got saved and I was right out of the world. I had no idea what the Bible was about. I didn't know anything about it. I remember the first time reading the Bible. I may have mentioned this before and and I, I was given a Bible, and I remember looking it up and flipping it open, and it said the, the epistle of Paul the Apostle. And I thought, what on earth is an epistle? And I, I worked it out, because uh, an apostle, I knew an apostle was, an epistle had to be a female apostle. That was the, the best I could come up with. That's how ignorant I was of the scriptures. I did. That's the background I came from. So I came home. And uh, 
I got, I was, I came to tell my dad, and uh, that time my parents were divorced, and I said, Dad, I got converted, and uh, and my um, my older sister, who was, I was 16, she was eight years older than I was, a very intelligent, articulate debater, and she came up to me, and she says, um, and her and my dad, they they tried to hammer me, and they said, no, you don't really believe everything in that Bible, do you? I mean, come on, let's let's get serious here. I mean, Noah and the ark and all the animals in that, and, the, and Jonah and the fish. You, you really believe all that? And and uh, and I was sort of caving under the pressure. And I and I said, well, you know what, you guys, um, I don't know everything about this Bible. All you know is I'm saved. And uh, I, I know there's a lot of things here I don't really believe either, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. That's what I said. I caved. I buckled under that pressure. They put it on me. They put on the screws. And I remember going to bed that night, and I was, I was tossing in bed. I was upset, and I felt so burdened and felt so guilty. And I got onto my hands and knees beside my bed, and and, and, and Lord, what's wrong? What did I do? And the Lord brought those my words back to me about what I said about the scriptures. And I had to admit that, Lord, I was wrong uh, to doubt your word. Your word is absolute truth. And I, and I just, I don't understand it, Lord. Forgive me. And, uh, and you know what happens when you, you, you yield to temptation like that and you fail? And even though after you've confessed it, you know what happens? That the devil comes along. And you know what the devil's nickname is? The accuser of the brethren. And you know, as soon as you'd sin as a Christian, the devil is on your shoulder and says, you know, you, you can't possibly be a Christian. I mean, look what you've just done. How can you sin? And you know, then the guilt comes on and, and, and I caved into this thing. And, and I still remember that, that day, kneeling beside my bed, not knowing really what to do, and and I flipped open my Bible, and I didn't know the Bible much. I just flipped over to first, and I flipped over to First John, and I my eye fell on a verse, and I was feeling so like not forgiven, even though I had confessed this sin after failing. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that was in this book. And I spoke out loud. I said, devil, did you hear that? I'm, I'm forgiven. Buzz off. <laughs> you see, uh, it's a wonderful thing to experience a re- restoration after you've failed. And, and even though I've exerted, I've, I've caved under peer pressure. Um, what about the guys at work? And I want to just be practical here. Have you ever been amongst a bunch of crude guys at work and somehow you got roped into being with them in a, in a circle and, and the next thing a guy comes up, oh, you guys have got to hear this joke. And out comes this crude, blasphemous joke. And now what do you do? Do you chuckle and laugh embarrassingly or, or do, you, do you say, listen, guys, I'm a believer. I, I, I'm not finding any enjoyment in this and walk away. I don't know how you handle it. But these are crucial points. You know, peer pressure isn't just for kids. It happens to us as adults as well in the workplace that we're in. So when we talk about the challenge of position, 
Um, you know, Facebook, how many of us do something on Facebook and we're constantly checking to see how many likes we have? Um, we like it to be liked, don't we? It appeals to our uh, desire for position and for recognition. Um, I was thinking of how popular we would like to be. And uh, I'm not saying we're going to be famous, but we, we like to be popular. We, we like to be liked. Um, and, uh, and forgive me for just being real practical here, but, but, you know, we live in a world where we are bombarded with how a person has to appear. You have to be a body that is so glamorous. And unless you achieve that, you are disliked. And you don't have the fame. You don't have the glory. You don't have the admiration of others. And, and, and I just want to remind ourselves that maybe we should not spend so much time looking in the mirror. Um, maybe some of us should look in the mirror more often. I'm not sure. But um, I just want to mention that obsession with appearance. And then when it comes to this idea of, of power and authority and position, just look around us in the world that we live in. How much of this world's countries and governments are destroyed by men who are seeking to hold on to power? And that is a big temptation that is not only destroying countries, but I do have to say this, that there is in Christian circles this desire sometimes in in people to gain authority and power. I know of some assemblies that are have been destroyed as a result of men who have not understood that their time of service is over and they need to relinquish the authority and power to younger men and let them carry on. I am so happy here at Boulevard to see the baton of authority being passed from one generation to the next generation. And I was just saying to my wife uh, uh, as we were driving here this morning, I said, you know, I, I really have great hopes for Boulevard. Should the Lord preserve you guys here? I think of, um, you know, uh, Aaron and, and, uh, and Malcolm. We got a few more years out of these boys. <laughs> And I'm really looking for the next 10 years of God blessing and maybe longer. But I'm so glad that you've got other men now who are working alongside you and are taking on positions of authority and, and, and uh, recognition. And they're learning from you. And that is how things have to happen. If these dear brethren held on forever, they would drive us all crazy and we'd all leave. Not that, no, I don't mean that personally, brother. <laughs> but there is an absolute need for passing on the baton to other younger men in authority and guiding them along. And, and this transition, seamless transition, will be a blessing to the assembly here at Boulevard. And then um, I'm going to move on quickly here because time is going by. I want to talk about the challenge of possessions. The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the nations of the world and the glory of them. And uh, he said, listen, you worship me and I'll give that to you. 
possessions. All that that world had, all the little trinkets, I'll give them to you if you come down and worship me, if you worship me. The challenge of possessions. And again, we live in one of the most difficult countries in the world to handle our, our, our possessions in a biblical way. Um, I'm just starting to learn this. And, and, and I've had to, because of our time spent in the African bush, for years, my mentality is if I got into a store and I saw something that I, I don't need today, but I might need in the next year or two, I'm buying it, regardless of the price, because I know what it's been like in the bush, and you needed something, you couldn't have it, you couldn't buy it, you couldn't find it. And so I had this hoarding mentality of buying stuff that I didn't need at the moment, but I'm glad I did in the bush. It was great there. And then I come over here, and I go through a shop and, um, and, and go to Ross and some of these other bargain marshals and say, wow, look at the price of this stuff. Look at the quality. And, and well, let's put it in the basket. We might need it. Then they, Hold on. We live here. I don't need ten shirts. I only need two. Well, my wife said I need three because she doesn't always get the laundry done on time. So three <laughs> shirts. So, I mean, we need to control the stuff that we, I mean, the junk that we have. I mean, you don't believe you have junk. I mean, try moving. Move countries. I've done it twice in the last few years. I've sold everything I've had. And, and, and I, I looked at, what are we doing with all this stuff? Junk that we fill our closets with. We fill our garages with. They're so full, we can't even put our cars in there. There's so much stuff in there. What is the lust of the eyes? The desire to acquire material things. So I've summed it up this way. Passions is doing. The lust of the flesh. Positions, position is being. And possessions is having. So it's us doing, it's us being, and us having. These are the things that are pretty much sum up this whole idea of temptation. Now let's quickly move on to the strategies for winning. The first thing is this. The Lord himself being holy, when he was tempted, what was the, what was the words he yet? It is written. It is written. You see, the word of God is the most powerful thing. It's our offensive weapon. That's what we use to slay the giants. That's what we use to destroy. You see, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way but by taking thereto according to thy word? You see, it's not just good enough when you get tempted to wave this book around and say, well, somewhere in this book it says I shouldn't do that. You know what? We've got to memorize this. We have to have certain key passages. We need to have those five smooth stones uh, in our little basket ready to slay the giant when we need to. We need to have them ready. And when he comes, we're prepared. We can quote the scriptures that will give us the strength. So use the book. Number two, be honest. Um. I, I would encourage you to find a confidant, somebody who you can trust who will not spill your uh, secrets. Um, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5, verse 16. 
You know what? It's important to be honest with people. We, uh, and, and I'm saying this as one of the Lord's servants, uh, oftentimes, and we get put placed on a pedestal, and we are thought of as some uh, super Christian. And sometimes we blow people away when we are honest with them and tell them that we've had a real bummer of a day. And, I mean, somebody this morning asked me, um, how are you doing? I said, not bad. He says, just not bad? I said, yeah, not bad. He was expecting something better. He didn't know that this morning when I got off my, out of bed, I tried to weigh myself. I slipped off the scale and fell on the floor, broke a glass behind me, it smashed on the floor. I wasn't sure if I landed on the glass or not. And now my wife and I had to try and get myself back in the wheelchair. And... Uh, and so, yes, I wasn't great this morning when I woke up, when I got here this morning. I'm, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. I had a, a rough morning. But sometimes we have to be honest with people. And what that does is it makes you vulnerable. But that's what we need to be. Stop putting on this fancy show that we got everything together when we don't. We need to be honest with our believers and, and recognize that we have bad days and good days, regardless whether you're a believer. And we're, I know I'm on my way to heaven. I'm thanking God that my sins have been washed forever. But I still fell this morning, and that bothered me. And you have your difficulties. You have your bad days. And that's okay. And we're allowed to do that. And we're allowed to, to have a confidence and, and confess. Well, I've just confessed to all you folks now, so... Strategies for winning. Number three is run. Run like the Dickens. Remember, uh, remember Joseph, what happened to him when he was tempted? And, you know, he did a great thing. He just headed for the hills. He chose his wise friends, his, his friends wisely. The Bible says this, flee also youthful lusts. Flee, run, get out of there. There are sometimes we get in a situation when we are not going to get out of this alive and the only recourse that we have is get out run and sometimes young christians you need to do that just to preserve your christian life and your testimony uh, uh, just to run and then avoid Uh, i mentioned earlier that you can't stop the birds from flying over your head but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair and this you know, we would not be wise if we have a weakness in a certain area of life to allow ourselves to be put in a position where I will now be more tempted than I should be. Um, that's why the scriptures say avoid. And uh, this is what Peter said. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry I've gone five minutes over time, and, and um, I, I'm just going to close with this promise from God's Word. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation... Also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it.
What a precious, precious promise. None of us can ever say, I had no choice, I had to sin. The devil made me do it. That's nonsense. There's only one person that you have to blame when you fail, and that's yourself. You can't blame anybody else. But God does give us a guarantee that he will not allow a temptation to take you so much to the point that you can't be able to survive. He will allow you to be tempted, but he will provide the, 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 the tools wherewith you can escape that you may be able to stand. We trust that God will bless his word to us, and I hope this was some practical thoughts for you and I as believers. We all get tempted, but the Lord has a, has a great victory for us if we're prepared to yield to him. Let's just bow our heads and ask God's blessing. Father, we come to you this morning and just confess to you how weak we are. We confess that we at times have yielded to temptation. We've succumbed. We've, we've sinned against you. And Lord, we, we want to admit that to you today. We pray that as a result of this, that we would be more committed, that we would learn from our mistakes, that we would make decisions and choices that are wise. Our Father, we pray in a special way for the believers that are here today. We admit that we live in a very difficult society where it is so easy to sin. And Father, we pray for wisdom from yourself to make decisions in our lives that will prevent us and preserve us for your glory. We pray for the younger people in particular who are perhaps just learning what it is to resist temptation. And we ask that, Father, by thy Holy Spirit, you'll give them the strength and the, the ability to stand firm. We thank you for the assembly here. We pray for the elders. We ask you, to, Lord, to bless them and watch over them. We commit them to you. And uh, we think of the future work of this assembly. We ask, Lord, to undertake for them. And as we journey north and travel up to Canada and points west, we pray for your preservation hand, preserving hand upon us. And, Lord, we look to you for your blessing in our lives, in our service for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.